Hey, Al. Hey, Barry. What did the transmutation wizard say when his girlfriend dumped him? What? Baby, please, no, I can change. It's time for Compelled Duel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Compelled Duel. I'm Barry. And I'm Al. And we are a single-player, co-DM'd D&D 5e actual play podcast. Previously on Compelled Duel. So, Fee, you've never been to jail before. That I have not. And thus, by royal decree, Nora Valsine, for the crime of harboring enemies against the crown, shall be stripped of the lands, titles, and royal stipend afforded to her by birth, and shall henceforth be considered an Australian civilian. So, I definitely heard Fee on the news last week, and apparently... So did the people that run the gala for the Museum of Art and Artificing? Because you two have invites now. The Museum of What and What? You have not once even implied that you're sorry that you just ghosted me for six years. Not once. I am sorry, Kalesa. You seem really happy. And I am very aware that you are a one-person kind of man. You still are my one-person, Fee. That hasn't changed. And when you look up into the mirror, Soren Shakana is standing behind you. Leo reaches up to press a hand to his cheek where he just felt that kiss. And then pivots it around to cover his mouth as he lets out a few gut-wrenching sobs. But then he stands up, makes sure his makeup looks okay, smooths down the front of his robes, and walks downstairs to meet everybody else. So, Fee, you find yourself in the entry hall of your Aunt Nora's house, standing around with all of your friends that are headed to this party. Zed and the captain are both well over half drunk, standing off in one corner with a couple of flasks going back and forth between them. Sabine is in her dress that you helped her into, just kind of standing off to one side, Arave is there. She's in a very practical set of boots and breeches with a nicely fitted waistcoat on over a linen shirt. Eleonora is also there. She has on this canary yellow, very well-constructed jacket with a high collar that is open over a kind of puffy poet shirt almost tucked into a very nicely fitted set of breeches 
and a pair of well-crafted boots. Your Uncle Boreas and Aunt Nora are in this entry hall as well. Boreas is dressed pretty much like he always is, very primly, kind of fussy. He has like a fancy cravat on and a nice overcoat. Your Aunt Nora is dressed in this beautiful gunmetal-colored silver dress that has elements of armor incorporated into it almost. You see one whole arm of this dress is done up fully in scale mail, and it stretches down across the front and down one side of her skirt. The last person to join you is your brother. You see Leo appear at the top of the stairs, fully decked out, ready for the evening, but looking deeply unsettled. He sweeps down the stairs, does not say anything to anybody, and kind of just stands by the front door, waiting for whatever's coming next. Fee's gonna try and make eye contact with him and raise her eyebrows like, you good? He meets your eyes, understands this message, and shakes his head. But then Nora turns around to Lark and Adra, who are standing around with the members of your party who are not going to this gala. So, Ravane, Verity, Celica, Lorelei. Okay. We will, Kimrel willing, be back soon. Aaron, you're in charge, and Adra, if your father makes a stupid decision, command transfers to you. Your uncle and your cousin Adra both make very tight facial expressions, but nod silently. And then Nora turns around to the rest of you and goes, Okay, so... We used to have transport arranged by the Australian embassy, but that's not a thing anymore, so we're gonna have to walk. Thankfully, the Vulduran Museum of Art and Artificing is not that far. It's like five, six blocks, so <sighs> let's go, shall we? Yes, let's please uh, lead the way. She leads you all out of the house and down the road. You get a lot of weird looks from passerby as you are all moving along the sidewalk in your formal wear. But eventually, Nora leads you up to the courtyard of this beautiful, very well-constructed building. Behind you, you hear Eleonora gasp in a very excited way as she looks up at the architecture. And you also hear Zed and the captain groan as they see the sheer amount of rich people that are milling about in the courtyard. You sort of fall into place, invitations in hand, keeping your plus ones close to you. And you can see that there are Vulduran broadcasting professionals, journalists, everything, just mobbed around you, trying to get comments. As soon as they realize who you and Leo are, they are upon you. And from directly behind you, you hear your Uncle Boreas quietly go, Don't. Say. Anything. 
Fee gives a very tight smile to the reporters and says, No comment. No comment, please. You continue moving across this courtyard, and from one side, you hear an excited voice go, Eleonora! And a very well-dressed Calessa Petrus comes hustling across the courtyard. She's got gold chains and pearls woven back through her hair, just these curls of green around the decorations, and a big sherbet-like orange poofy dress. She runs right up to your group, hooks her arm through Eleonora's, and you see Eleanor's cheeks go kind of dark. Kalesa is just chattering excitedly the entire way through the process of all of you presenting your invitations, introducing your plus ones, and getting checked into this gala. I'm just glad I got to come this year. I mean, I've been here as my dad's plus one a couple times, but he said that he couldn't come this year because your dad told him something about needing him tonight. I don't know. So anyway, I yoinked his invitation off the counter while he wasn't looking, and now I'm here representing the Australian embassy. Wait till you guys see the inside of this place. It rocks. You walk into an absolutely gorgeous museum. Flat marble floors, big stone walls, beautiful works of art hanging in frames all down these big hallways. There's a large atrium in the center of this building that is capped by a big stained glass dome. It seems to be the dance floor for the evening. There are lots of people dancing, talking, mingling out in the middle of this atrium. Leo and Zed depart pretty quickly and hit the dance floor. Eleonora and Kalesa are hot on their heels. You see your Uncle Boreas point at somebody across this atrium and kind of nod like he knows them and drag Nora off for a conversation. And then you are left with Sabine, the captain, and Arave in the middle of this hubbub. Sabine turns around to all of you and goes, Okay, I know a beacon battleground when I see one. This is... textbook. We need to operate under the assumption that anybody we talk to has a knife poised over our back at all times. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. I would suggest none of us flash any coins at anyone unprompted. Yes? Sabine nods at you. Yeah, I think that's smart, and... And then from behind you, this bright, brassy voice says, Truth dies in darkness, and you never write, Sabine. Sabine's posture goes rigid, and she stares down at her shoes. Son of a bitch. Fee turns to inspect the source of the voice. You turn around and see an Australian elven man about Leo's age, average height, kind of lean, so pale that he seems more blue than most of the Australian elves that you've ever met. 
He has shoulder-length, curly, stark white hair that is pulled up into a low ponytail at the base of his neck, a big, floppy hat on his head, and a pair of round, very dark sunglasses on, even though he is indoors and it is the evening. Next to you, Sabine's posture tightens even more for a second, but then relaxes, and you see this big, broad smile stretch across her face. Revelation lives in light, and you are an asshole, Florian. Come here. And she wraps this guy up in a big, tight hug. Fee waits a second, and then clears her throat and goes, Uh, should we make introductions or give you two a moment? Sabine disentangles herself from her big hug with this guy and looks around at the rest of you. Um, this is my brother, Florian Javaris. He's an... And Florian, apparently kind of pushes his sunglasses up on the bridge of his nose, smirks, and goes, I'm an art dealer. Sabine snorts and goes, Forter. An art dealer, Sabine, who earned my invitation to this event. He waggles his eyebrows at Erevay. Miss Enmar, haven't seen you since we were kids. How you doing? Erevé, deadpanned, goes, no, Florian. Florian kind of puts his hands up and takes a step back before turning to look over at Sabine. Okay, warm reception as always. Anyway, I've been trying to keep a low profile. Have you heard anything about s- And Sabine reaches up and claps a hand over his mouth. She grabs the front of his shirt and starts to haul him off. Okay, we should talk about this elsewhere. Fee, do you want to try to follow them? You can roll perception if you want to. Uh, yeah. Do you want me to also roll stealth to not get caught doing this? Uh, yeah, roll stealth first. That's a 22. Okay, Sabine's passive perception is a 19. So yeah, you managed to sneak. Um, Go ahead and roll me a perception check. Well, at least I can't roll below a 13. And it's a 13 exactly because I rolled a 6, but I have reliable talent from uh, Gift of the Stormbringer. Okay, so that's enough for you to get some, but not all, of this conversation. Sabine yanks her brother, apparently, across this dance floor and out an open set of French doors onto a balcony, whispering frantically to him the whole time. You follow at a far enough distance that you're not noticed, but because you are trailing so far behind, you don't hear everything that is being said. You're sort of hovering in this doorway, and you hear Sabine hiss. 
Look, I did everything I could for him, and he has fought me every step of the way, Florian, okay? That's not what this is about. This is about... <sighs> this is about the fact that I have got solid evidence that Elasha Dakarin is behind what happened to Mom and Dad. And she is... <laughs> she's the Archduchess of Australia, and she's actively fucking with somebody that I care about a lot. So that's what you missed. That's what you chose not to engage with while you were over here being an art dealer. You hear the sound of footfalls, like someone is taking a couple steps back, and then a snort. <laughs> oh, yeah, while I was over here being an art dealer, you mean the thing that you told me to do so I could survive? You mean the reason that you pushed me away? How's Colette doing, by the way, Sabine? Sabine hisses in a breath between her teeth. She's fine. She's taking care of everybody else. You haven't met my girlfriend or my husband yet. It's a long story. And we don't have the time to work it out tonight. I just need to know that you're in my corner. Florian snorts again and goes, I'm insulted that you'd even ask. Of course I am. There's a moment of silence, and then Sabine sighs and goes, All right. I know this is going to be a hard ask for you, but just try to keep your head down tonight, okay? I've got a bad feeling that things here are not going to end well. Florian says, I've been keeping my head down for the last 26 years, Sabine. It's not the way that I prefer to go about things, but I've learned how to do it well enough. And then he storms back through this open doorway. Fee, there's a moment where he makes eye contact with you from behind these big, round, dark sunglasses and nods solemnly. But then afterwards, he darts across this dance floor teeming with people and goes to talk to this older dwarvish gentleman who looks to be a pretty important person. Sabine follows not far behind him, looking more stressed than she already was. Fee's gonna say, he seems interesting. I didn't expect to meet any of your siblings anytime soon. Sabine is glaring lasers into the floor. Well, you've met one. Remember the, um, young lady that was helping me run the dance troupe? That's Colette. She's our sister. Ah, yeah, she seemed. Hmm. Huh. Exactly. <sighs> I'm about to sound like a real bitch. We need to not get Florian involved in any of this. No, I understand. 
you want to protect your brother, that's... (laughs) (laughs) No, my brother can protect himself. It's just that he is such an idiot. And will inevitably fuck us over whether he means to or not. Ah. Understood. At the very least, though, he's a connection to Beacon Resources that's based here and is at least loyal to you. And I think it would be short-sighted of us to discount that entirely. Sabine bites at her lip. You could see that one gold canine that she has flashing underneath the light from the chandelier over your heads. And I get that, but I'm... I'm really tired of feeding my family to this shit fee. We should leave him out of it. I get that trusting me is hard, but please just trust me. I... Yeah. If we can leave him out of it, we will. Thank you. I'm gonna go make sure the captain isn't causing any problems. I'll see you later. I'm gonna go see if my uncle has any political insight. I'll see you. Leo, you and Zed are dancing. The music is going from this band playing off to the side. Zed is doing an admirable job leading. One hand on your hip, the other one wrapped around yours. Off to your side, Kalesa and Eleonora are also dancing, whirling around. You hear the tones of Kalesa saying something that you can't quite make out what she's saying. And Eleonora laughs, this big brassy laugh. Zed kind of cuts his eyes sideways and then looks back at you, reaches the hand that's on your hip up to push some of your hair out of your face, licks his lips, and says, So, uh, I was thinking. And before he can finish, a voice to your other side says, Gentlemen, do you mind if I cut in? I'd like a, a word with the Grand Duke. Do you look to your side? Leo smirks, hikes his robes up so they're exposing a little bit more of his thigh, and then, yes, turns over to the side. You see a dwarven man with a voluminous, braided, silvery-gray beard. It's got all kinds of, like, charms and shit in it. He's wearing a big sash with a lot of what you recognize as, like, medals of valor on it old as hell. He gives you a winning smile, sticks out a hand, and says, Senator Maximus Grey River. Nice to meet you. Leo, roll me the lowest possible DC history check with advantage. 24. Maximus Grey River is the name of the general that wrote the account of the Battle of Omagroth that made you realize that your father killed his brother. He was not directly in charge of Valdoran forces during the time of the war, 
but he was high enough up there that he was involved in the peace talks that ultimately didn't pan out. And he has just introduced himself to you as a senator. Leo's eyes get really big for a second. And then he reins his facial expression back into a big, coy political smile, looks over at Zed and goes, Honey, I'm so sorry. Could you give us a minute? Zed closes his eyes for a second like he is praying for patience, nods slowly, and then says, Yep, you got it. And then he spins on his heel and walks away. Given the briefings about Vuldurin culture that Leo sat through with his uncle, he is going to take this gentleman's hand, shake it very firmly, and introduce himself. Laryl Valsine, Grand Duke of Australia. My friends call me Leo. This very old man laughs. And my friends call me Max, kid, but you got a little too much pep in your step to be one of those. Do I have a bag on me? Could I have potentially brought the book to the party? I don't know that you have a bag, but you have a lot of pockets. I'll allow it. Okay, cool. Once again, remembering all of the cultural briefing that he got, Leo pulls the book on the Battle of Omegroth that he stole from the library out of pretty much nowhere and holds it out to this man. Well, in that case, Maximus, I will admit that I am a huge fan. Could I maybe get a signed copy? Ah... Sure. And then he reaches out and takes it from you, flips the cover open. Why does this say property of, uh... Don't worry about it. Alright. And he pulls a pen out from behind his sash, again adorned with all of these gleaming medals. This is obviously a man that is very proud of his military service. And he scribbles a quick signature in the book, snaps it shut one-handed, and hands it back to you. Again, just this winning politician smile. He says, I, uh, wasn't aware that my work had that much circulation in Australia. It doesn't. Sadly, I came across your work in Gimtarum, actually. I don't know how much the Valduran side of this particular conflict knows, but my father and I have been on the outs for the past several years. It's my understanding that you knew both him and my uncle, yes? Ah, we weren't exactly talking one-on-one, but, uh... His lip curls a little bit. I got to see both of them in, uh, negotiations. Well, Senator... Maximus, I think we can both agree that this blockade is bullshit, right? He raises his eyebrows. Well, given that the justification was that the Archduke's children had died on Valdarn soil, and I'm looking at proof that that didn't happen. Seems so. 
And if I were to tell you that your writings have led me to believe that my father is calling the shots in Australia under false pretenses, what would you say then? The senator's eyes glitter a little bit as he again flashes you that winning politician smile and says, Then I'd say it's a pleasure to meet the rightful Archduke of Asheria. The rightful Arch... Um... Yes. Pleasure to meet you as well. If you'll excuse me, I have some people waiting on me. Maximus Grey River nods, steps back, and says, Alright, but I'd love to follow up on this at a later date. Have a little conversation, you and me. I would love that. But unfortunately, I think my plus one is going to get a little jealous if I don't get back to him presently. Let's put a pin in this, yes? Absolutely. And he walks off? Leo goes to hunt down Zed with frantic urgency. Before you can do that, out of the crowd comes your Uncle Boreas, trailed by your sister. Your uncle nods, says, Good, there you are. Uh, we need to go make an introduction post-haste, if you would. Yeah, more introductions. That's what I'm here for. Let's do it. Fee gives you kind of a weird look. But Boreas nods briskly and walks off in a different direction. Fee follows after him hurriedly, I assume you do as well. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on. Can I look around to see where Zed is? Yeah, roll perception. Dirty 20. Zed is leaning against a wall, talking to the captain. The captain's holding a flask. Zed is holding a plate of canapes. Okay, so he's fine. I follow after Fee. Your uncle leads you through this crowd to a smaller crowd that has gathered around a human man in, you would say, about his 40s, maybe. Warm brown skin, curly dark hair, big bright smile, and very uh, booming jovial laugh. Boreas unsubtly inserts himself into the crowd around this man. <laughs> Just elbows past vulgar and high society types, but manages to do so in a way where he doesn't seem rude, he just seems eccentric. He says to this human guy, Ah, uh, Tomas, do you have a moment to meet my niece and nephew? And this human guy looks past him at you and Fee. His eyes go a little wide. And his voice kind of shifts a little bit, and he goes, Oh, uh, yeah, give me one moment. And then he turns back to this crowd of people around him, and his voice shifts again, and he goes, Everyone, I know we're having such a great time, and I would hate to cut this story short, but, uh, we've got a little personal business to take care of. He, like, has a champagne flute in his hand that he just hands off to somebody. He follows Breas back out through this crowd, and they draw even with you and Fee, and he says, Shall we go somewhere a little more secluded? By all means. 
he's gonna lead the three of you through this crowd again to a balcony through a set of like big French doors. There are very few people on this balcony. It's pretty private, or at least as private as things are going to get here. He rakes a hand back through his hair, nods, and he says, So you two must be uh, our little city's new favorite gossip topic. Yes, and you must be someone who can help us turn gossip into action. (laughs) One can only hope so. And Boreas pipes up. This is Senator Tomas Highvale. He is the chairman of the Urban Planning Committee, and in my opinion, the most reliable person in the Senate. And a member of my book club, which does have some bearing on my judgment. I'm a very good judge of character. And this guy laughs. I don't like to flatter myself over much, but I will take a compliment when it's given. Leo leans in and puts a hand out for a handshake. Very pleased to meet you, Tomas. I hope that you can help us out with what we're trying to do here. He looks at your hand, raises his eyebrows, and says, No need for that. We're not making a deal yet, and I'm given to understand that that's the etiquette among Asherians. Oh, I like this guy. (laughs) Leo raises his eyebrows and then puts both hands down at his sides. So it is. My sister and I are fascinated to see what your outlook on the whole situation is. What do you think we can do to stop this war? He kind of raises his eyebrows and he goes, I mean, that's a big question for even a group of people. There's a reason we've got a hundred in the Senate. We're not really going to figure out something as big as that between the four of us. But as someone who's seen the inner workings of one war machine for quite a while, my view on the situation is it doesn't matter how many orders get shouted down from on top if the people actually on the front line don't want to be there. Take it with a grain of salt, of course. I'm no soldier. I'm a politician, but... No, no, I understand. We're in the same boat. My sister and I... And Leo looks sharply over his shoulder at Fee. Are doing all we can to bring this blockade to a halt. Tomas snorts and says, Yeah, I've listened to the news once or twice in the last week. This is a big international conflict, Tomas. And we are just two people. We need all the help we can get. Are you willing to help us bring a halt to all this madness? Tomas has a very, like, naturally kind of jovial face. He's got, like, smile lines around his mouth and at the corners of his eyes. But he goes very serious as he says, I would question the ethics of anyone that said no to that question, your highness. Leo nods at him, looks back at Fee, and goes, Then perhaps we should all sit down later tonight and figure out the logistics. Of all this, yes? Yes, absolutely. But I'll say, speaking as a politician, and he gestures at the two of you, if you're trying to drum up support, I think it's best to stay visible as much as possible. And he gestures back through the doors. And I have to 
and he puts back on the big politician smile. Raise some funding for victims of a recent fire in my district. My job's great. Leo puts a finger up. Forgive me if this is a faux pas, but your accent, um, Torjunian, am I right? He raises his eyebrows at you and very carefully says, I was born in Tordune, yes, but... And he makes a grand gesture around him. All those who seek citizenship from our glorious empire are Voldurin. You do well to remember that. A lot of people are. A bit more hardline on that policy than I am. Well, if you're looking to help out your people... I would inform you that Eleonora Ashthorn of Estermouth is back in that ballroom. She is a very close friend of mine, and I think that she would love to talk to you. He raises his eyebrows again, nods slowly, and says, Thanks for the tip. And then puts back on the politician's smile and says, and I hope you three all enjoy the party. And then he whirls around and walks back inside. Leo turns around, nods back at Fee, and goes, Okay, so that was interesting. Let's both keep making the rounds, see what else we can find out. I think I have a couple leads we can go on. Uh, so do I. After you. Leo claps her on the shoulder, gives her a little squeeze, and then turns back around and heads back into the ballroom to find Zed. Okay, you walk in. You see briefly that Tomas has cornered Eleonora up against a wall and is very excitedly gesticulating as he says something to her. You see Sabine and the captain dancing. You see your Aunt Nora posted up by a wall with a glass of punch in her hand. And you see Zed talking to Kalesa, actually. Leo grabs the nearest glass of champagne and heads over and immediately inserts himself into this conversation. Hey, you two, how's it going? Somebody please tell me that the music is about to pick up because I am exhausted with political pageantry and would actually like to have some fun tonight. Kalesa, visibly tipsy, purses her lips for a second and then says, Well, in my experience, it usually picks up after the fireworks show, so pretty soon, I guess. Hmm. Boo. More waltzes, then. Said we did put in all that practice. We might as well show our stuff. Zed pauses and then says, Actually, I, uh... If we could talk somewhere uh, a little more private. Leo tilts his head and squints at him a little bit, but then shrugs and nods off towards the nearest hallway before turning around to look at Kalesa. When you get the chance, can you tell Eleonora I am just so sorry? Sorry for what? She's being cornered by a Volduran senator with Tordunian connections right now because I needed something to keep him occupied while I figure out whether or not we can trust him. I've been busy tonight. Yeah, I'm 
getting that impression. Funny how it has stolen my date away from me for however long. I'm doing my best out here, Kalesa. I'm trying. She waves you off, and Zed kind of grabs you by the elbow gingerly, waves at Kalesa, says, We'll talk later, bye! And tows you off to this hallway. Leo kind of frowns at him and looks back and forth really quick to make sure no one's within earshot. Okay, what? What's going on? Did something happen while I was gone? Uh, no, it's, um... And he kind of reaches back to rub the back of his neck for a second. And then says, Alright, I'm gonna be real blunt about this. I get that we are on an, uh, important political mission and everything. And I keep trying to be all romantic about this and keep getting interrupted by near-death experiences or extremely emotionally exhausting conversations or both. So here's the thing. He scrubs a hand back through his hair, grins at you, and says, I've been in love with you for a year. You're wearing that. And I am watching everybody in this room watch you like they would like nothing more than to have a private conversation. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here with the knowledge that I'm the person that gets to take you home at the end of the night. So. He nods over his shoulder and he says, There's an unlocked broom closet about 20 feet that away, and I would really, really like to irreparably fuck up your outfit. I would like to smack Zed in the arm so hard that I'm probably going to have to roll to hit. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead and do that. I'm going to be rolling with a negative one, so I can't mechanically roll high enough to hit him. This is just for my own satisfaction. Twelve. You, like, flail and try to hit Zed in the arm, and he grabs your wrist and grins at you and raises his eyebrows and says, I'm not hearing it now. Leo, as an Australian, has slit pupils, so they go big in a way similar to a cat that has just face-planted into a catnip toy. And he kind of bites at his lower lip, looks down the hallway to the closet that Zed just mentioned, and goes... My outfit needs to remain intact, and we've got 20 minutes before someone misses me. Zed grins at you and goes, eh, that'll do for now. Fee, you enter back into the fray of this party. What are you doing? Well... Out of our PCs, the politically-minded one is busy getting railed in a closet, so Fee's gonna do some dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fee's gonna try and steal the captain away for a dance, probably dance with Arave, and given how tipsy Kalesa is, probably her for a couple dances. The captain only knows one dance, because that's all your Uncle Boreas taught him, but he is very adept at the Valduran Waltz by this point, and whirls you through one song, before passing you off to Erevé, who spends most of your dance looking over your shoulder at Florian Javaris with a very skeptical look. 
And then you get passed off to Kalesa, who is inebriated, laughing, fully lets you hold her super close and whirl her across the dance floor. You're hanging out with her through a couple songs when you see Leo emerge from one of the side hallways and make a beeline across the dance floor to you. Go ahead and roll insight for me. That's a 16, so it's a 15. Leo looks a little worse for wear. His carefully constructed hairdo is a total mess of flyaways. He has a little braid down one side of his head that has gone loose. His eyeliner is pretty fucked up. And his outfit looks rumpled. He comes over, cuts into your dance with Kalesa, and starts moving with you across this dance floor. Rolls his shoulders back and shakes his head like he's trying to do a factory reset on himself and goes, Okay, so we need to talk potential alliances because I know you've been doing some work tonight and I've been doing some work tonight, so... (laughs) We certainly have. Quick question, sidebar. Is that a hickey? No, it's, uh... It's makeup. Anyway, (laughs) Leo leads you to the edge of the dance floor and whirls you out of the dance and stares at you for a second before reaching down into his bag and pulling out the book that he stole from the library when you first got to Volter. He flips it open to the title page and points at a scribbled signature on the paper. So earlier this evening, I met the guy who wrote this book. He's a senator. He's old as shit. He seems kind of shifty. But he did bring up a very good point, which is that our father is potentially running Australia under a false claim to the throne. If that is true... Rightful rulership of the country would go to the next person in the line of succession, which is me. That's not a bad strategy to work with, but this guy seems very eager to support that claim to the throne, which means that he wants something. I don't know if we can trust him. What have you got? Uh... I met Sabine's brother earlier. Sabine's what? Don't get too caught up in it. She has a lot of them. Well, I'm not sure how many of the siblings that are still alive are her brothers, but anyway, uh, he's an art dealer. He has enough connections to be invited to this whole thing. Sabine seems to think that he's loyal, but also that he's an idiot. So I say... Use the connections, don't trust the man with anything important. And then there's Tomas. Uncle Boreas seems to think that he's our best shot, despite being tied up in all the bureaucracy. And he's got the clearest picture of the situation here, of any of us. And a plug into the Senate is a plug into the Senate. I agree, I think we should... And then from out on the balcony, you hear muffled explosions and cheers from a group of people that seem to have gathered out there. 
Leo looks up over your shoulder, nods out towards the doors, and goes, Okay, and those would be the fireworks that Kalesa mentioned. We should at least make an appearance, I think. Uh, good call, yeah. And Yaffe's gonna lead him out onto the balcony. You two make your way out onto this big balcony on the outside of the museum, and there is a fantastic fireworks show going off in the area over Valder that is not under the rock ceiling of the caldera of the volcano that the city is built inside. Absolutely beautiful. Ruby reds and golds and blues and greens just exploding in the sky. You spot the rest of your party pretty quickly. They're all grouped around one little section of the railing of the balcony. Kalesa's over there, kind of leaning into where Eleonora has one arm slung around her waist. Arave is perching both of her elbows on the banister, just kind of looking up at the sky. Sabine and the captain are off to the side, kind of talking amongst themselves a little bit. Your Uncle Boreas is several yards away, talking to Tomas and apparently a couple other members of his book club. They all seem pretty familiar with each other. And then you see your Aunt Nora. Her hands are white-knuckled on the banister around this balcony, and she is full-body flinching with every explosion of the fireworks overhead. I'm gonna go stand next to her, see if there's anything I can do. Her facial expression is both familiar and unsettling. You've seen it in your father before, just that thousand-yard stare like she is somewhere else entirely. But as you come up to stand next to her, she reaches down and grabs one of your hands and squeezes at it super tight. Fee's gonna squeeze her hand back. If, uh, Voldaren fireworks shows are anything like the ones back home, it'll only be a few more minutes. Just ride it out? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. She is just staring down at her shoes. She is not looking up into the sky where all of these beautiful sparks are flickering out above you. These large booms and explosions continue on for several more minutes. And then you hear some kind of uncertain murmurs among the crowd out on this balcony. Can I roll perception to see what people are murmuring about? Absolutely. 13 because of reliable talent. It was a 7. I think you turn around to kind of investigate what's going on around you, and your Aunt Nora's hand reaches up and gets you by the nape of the neck and does not let you walk away. What? What's going on? She is still just looking down at her feet with this detached, traumatized stare. In the open air above you, there are still booms and crashes echoing off the shell of this caldera of the volcano. And Nora says, 
The fireworks stopped two minutes ago. And then from directly behind you, you hear the clatter of the French doors from the main room of the museum swinging open. Florian Javaris, sunglasses askew on his face, rushes out onto the marble of this balcony and goes, The Australian Navy's launched a full-scale attack. Cannons and everything. We need to get out of here. And this gala erupts into absolute chaos. People are trampling each other trying to get out of here. Most of your party is close enough to you that you are able to kind of rope them into a close-knit group. You see Leo sprint over and grab Kalesa away from a conversation she's been having with another Baldurin diplomat and just kind of pull her into his chest as people start stampeding to get out of here. It is pandemonium, Fee. And in the midst of this chaos, you feel a hand close tightly around your own, look up to your side, and Sabine is standing there staring up at the absence of fireworks in the sky as the sounds of these explosions keep ringing out through the city. Who are they gonna blame, Fee? And as this gala dissolves into screams and panic, there is a lurch under your feet. All of your party staggers to the side as the great stone wheel that the city of Aldur sits upon grinds to a halt. Leo, roll me a deck save. Eleven. Ooh. Uh, let me roll for Kalesa really quick. Uh, that was a twenty-six. So between the two of you, you manage not to fall over when the wheel stops. Leo is still clinging to Kalesa where he grabbed her to stop her from getting trampled and looks around wildly. What the hell was that? Kalesa, who kind of scrambled to brace herself so the two of you didn't get knocked over, looks around the crowd and then looks back to you and says, Nothing good. I ask for one quiet night, motherfucker. Zed? Roll me perception really quick. 26. Okay, damn. Uh... You look around this crowd, you manage to find Zed pretty quickly. He's a few people away. He's kind of shifted his stance to kind of brace himself. Past him, you see out into the city, further out towards the edge of the wheel. At the very 
edge of the city, you start to see lights go out. I grab Kalesa and run over to Zed and try to see if I can find Fee and rope her in. With the 26, you find Fee as well. She and Sabine are kind of holding on to each other. They've managed to stay up. You see, by them, the captain catches himself on the railing of the balcony and just jubilantly pumps a fist in the air <laughs> and yells, See legs! Still got it! You see, Erevé has caught herself on the railing as well, just both hands braced. Her eyes are darting around the crowd. Eleonora did not make the dex check <laughs> because she only has a plus two. So you watch Eleonora just fully eat shit. <laughs> Eleonora's feet absolutely get knocked out from under her and you catch her like pressing herself back against the railing from the ground to try not to get trampled. Nora makes the dex save, which means that she, much like Kalesa did for you, just barely manages to catch Boreas by the arm as he almost falls over. I'm gonna try to fight my way over and get everybody grouped up. Your group kind of huddles up. Eleonora manages to get to her feet and shove through a couple people into this huddle. Everybody's all together. What are you doing? Uh, Nora and Boreas live here and would probably know the answer to this question. So Leo turns over to Nora and goes, Okay, city stopped moving. Is that a thing? Is this a thing that happens? Nora, wide-eyed, says, Given that the motion of the city is what powers everything, no. And the Australian Navy is beating down the proverbial door. This reeks like my father. Shit, I left my crystal ball back at the house. We're gonna have to go back so I can check up on the situation and see what's going on. Kalesa cuts in, just, no, I need to go back to the embassy and check on my parents. Your parents could be involved in this, Kalesa. Something is really, really wrong, and it is a dangerous, stupid decision for all of us to just scatter before I get the chance to drop a scrying spell and figure out what the hell's going on here. Fee says, wait, I thought you couldn't scry on father anymore. I can't but maybe I can scry on the people that might be around him. Kalesa, please, just come back to Nora's house with us. Kalesa kind of scoffs, just goes, <laughs> First of all, after what you two pulled last week, I can't be seen going in there, or we are all fucked. And second of all, I'm not wasting time that I could use to make sure my mom is safe on maybes, Leo. Ah, <sighs> shit. Um... Okay, this is a wild pull, but from the DM's chair, the material components for a scrying spell just specify that it has to be something reflective worth at least a thousand gold pieces. We're in a museum full of art and artificing. Is there any shot that I have at there being like a magical mirror in here or something that I can use for a scrying spell? Hey, buddy. Please roll me an investigation check with the proficiency that you've gotten from your Phantom Rogue feature. That's a 25. As everyone is still crushing past each other to get off this balcony, Kalesa takes a couple steps into the crowd, like moving with it, and you know that if she steps any further away from you, you are going to lose her in the crowd. Ugh, fuck me, I'm going after her. 
you also step into this crush of people. I assume you're trying to, like, tow Kalesa out. You get her by the elbow. You take a step. The crowd parts around you for just a second. And on a balcony further towards the back of the museum, you see Soren Shakrana. People are rushing to get off of that balcony as well, just almost trampling each other, trying to get through the doors. But Soren is just leaning calmly, one elbow on the railing, chin in his hand. You watch as the people rush by, and you can see the lights of the city slowly dimming and dying through Soren. As he makes eye contact with you, stands up straight, nods, adjusts his glasses, and walks through the crowd into the museum. Kalesa, are you seeing this? Seeing what? She is trying to wrench her arm out of your grip. Cool, just me then. This way. I'm gonna try to swing back through and grab Fee and Zed. You swing back by your party. Fee is saying something to the captain and Sabine. You manage to get her by the arm and tow her around. Zed just starts elbowing through the crowd. He's a big dude. He can make room for himself. And you see Eleonora, who is much smaller, bustling directly behind him so she doesn't get caught in the crowd. And they are all following you inside. What are you doing? Can I just ride that investigation check to go through the museum to the place where I saw Soren a second ago? Absolutely. Are you explaining to your companions what you're doing? Oh yeah, sure, I just saw the ghost of my dead fiancé, and I think he's trying to help us- No, I'm not explaining what we're doing! <laughs> Leo has one hand around Kalesa's wrist in case she tries to bolt again, and the other one locked around Fee's hand super tight, and is just dragging them through the halls of the museum. You all cut through these crowds, moving deeper into the museum, and off to the side, Leo- you see Soren again. Okay, no, seriously, is anybody else seeing this? Zed from behind you says, Boss, all I see is the exhibit sign. Leo's gonna screw his eyes shut, rub at them really hard, and open them again. Soren, leaning up against the wall, kind of gives you a shrug, cocks his head to the side, and then walks inside this exhibit. Leo gives Kalesa and Fee a tug and goes in after him. You walk into an exhibit which the placard on the wall tells you is the Hall of Mirrors. And as soon as you walk in, you are surrounded by iterations of your reflection. Big and small, in bits and pieces, at different angles. Just hundreds of reflections of you all around this hall. You see mirrors that look dingy and old. You see ones that look new and modern and shiny. You see antiques. You see shards hanging from the ceiling. It is just an overwhelming torrent of reflections of yourself. And as you're standing there, overwhelmed by what you're seeing, 
you see Soren standing at the end of this one stretch of mirrors, about to turn a corner, and you watch him lazily flick one of the smaller mirrors with his fingers, and it just starts spinning as he walks around the corner. Okay, that! Anybody seeing that? From behind you, Eleonora goes, What the fuck? My sentiments exactly. Uh, come on, I think we're supposed to go this way. You keep walking through this mirror maze. Soren is not showing up in any of the mirrors, but you see, like, the very edge of the hem of his robes disappearing around another corner as more mirrors around that corner just start spinning like he put both hands out and just dragged them down the edges. It strikes me that Leo has not tried speaking to him yet. He reaches up, stops one of the mirrors from where it's spinning, and kind of tilts his head to the side. What are you trying to show me? From behind you, Zed says, Leo, who the hell are you talking to? Do you want an honest answer, or would you prefer to continue believing that I'm at least somewhat sane? From around the corner, Soren, who is looking like he is ready to keep leading you through the maze, grimaces, and then brings one hand across his mouth like a zipping motion, shrugs, and swings another mirror, and continues on. I feel so bad for everybody else with me who's going into this with no context, but I charge after him. You turn this last corner, and you see that this mirror maze opens up into just a huge, round space, dominated by this giant, like, ten-foot-tall mirror with a gold frame with sort of engravings in the glass around the corners... It is intricately crafted, and you would say it is worth at least a thousand gold pieces. Soren is standing in this big round space, facing away from you. You cannot see his reflection in the mirror. Leo walks into this space, but he's not walking towards the mirror. He walks towards Soren and reaches a hand out to try to touch his shoulder. As you raise your hand, roll perception with advantage. 23. You look down and you see something flaking off of the hems of his robes. At first you think it's like ash, and then you realize it is ice crystals. And you recognize that sight very intimately because Soren's magic was always very ice-based. And then you realize that it is flakes of his robes coming apart into these little ice crystals. And before your hand makes contact with his shoulder, he turns. You watch him bring a hand up to his face and you realize that there is a trickle of blood coming out of his nose. He flicks it off of his fingers, and you see more of those flakes come off of his hand as this image of Soren starts to dissolve in front of your eyes. 
It is fast. It is a few seconds, and then he is gone. No, 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 no! I look down at the ground. Are the ice crystals real? Can I touch them? No. After he's gone, there is no evidence that he was there. Leo has to work extremely hard to not break down into tears. Swallows, closes his eyes, nods, looks back up at this big gilded mirror in front of him, and whispers, Thank you. And I'm going to run up to this mirror, zap Kimrel's blade out of my bracer, and drop a scrying spell on Elasha Dakarin. She is very familiar to me. That is negative five to the whiz save. Alasha has a plus one to whiz. So, subtracting five from her save means she has a minus four, which means she cannot mechanically roll the 18 that she would need to resist the scrying spell. You see Alasha standing in a well-appointed office. There are bookshelves on the wall. There's a sturdy oaken desk in front of where she's standing. You see Kalesa's dad a little further in the room, pacing to wear a hole in the rug. And behind the desk, you don't see anything. Logically, you assume that that must be where your father is, but your eyes slide off that space. Like, you cannot focus in on the part of the mirror where you would assume your father is sitting. It is Almost like there's a hole in the reflection, but if there was a blank space there, you could at least focus on that blank space. And instead, there's just a block in your awareness. Alasha throws an arm to the side in a sweeping gesture and says, So what? We're just supposed to wait for evacuation efforts? And there is this, not really a sound, but like this tinnitus buzzing in your ear as you would assume your father is responding but you cannot perceive him because of whatever spell he has had cast on him from back in the corner you see Kalesa's dad's eyebrows furrow and he says, And how exactly are we planning to make sure that our people don't get caught up in that, Morlin? There are Australian citizens in that city. My daughter is in that city right now. And Alasha cuts in, gestures at Eamon, and says, Yes! And she turns back to the space where you assume your father is. And I would remind you, dear, so is yours. Alasha scoffs. <laughs> You're not worried. That's great, Morlin. I'm sure that there's no margin for error in them getting out before the city sinks into the lava and somehow being picked up by a patrol before they get shot by the Navy. I... Ooh! And she makes like a strangling motion. Stops, smooths down her dress and her hair. <sighs> I'm going to think of something. 
And Kalesa's dad just steps closer to the desk and hisses. A better handle on my child? Perhaps I would have if you had looped me into the plan before I let her walk into a death trap, Morlin. The greater good? This is my daughter! And Leo, Kalesa, next to you, reaches up and just puts a hand over her mouth. In the mirror, you watch her dad just make a disgusted noise and go, I... (sighs) And then he turns to Alasha, just hands up and says, Anything you can think of. We need to get them out. Now. Alasha kind of reaches up to just put her fingers to her temple and goes, I'll try and mobilize my intelligence network. I, I need time to think. Morlin, how much time do I have? You watch Alasha hiss through her teeth and nod. I'll have to think fast then. Leo dispels the scrying spell. He turns around and looks at Fee, Zed, Eleonora, and Kalesa in abject horror. That's why the city stopped moving. They're weaponizing the volcano. They're going to try to force people to evacuate so that they get picked off by the Navy when they do. They're trying to kill the whole city. Kalesa still has a hand over her mouth. Eleonora is staring slack-jawed at the mirror, and Zed has started pacing behind you. Fee, at your side, reaches down and squeezes your hand and says, We need to do something. We need to do something fast. And that's where we're gonna end this week. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> oh, Leo got laid, but at what cost? <laughs> we'll see you next time. Uncompelled tool. Hey everybody, Barry here with the postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. As always, I'm going to go ahead and plug our social media pages. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok at Capel Duel. We also have lots of other cool stuff going on, like an official Spotify account, an official website. You can find all of that stuff linked on our various social media profiles. If you're enjoying what you've heard so far on the podcast and are interested in supporting us, we ask that you head over to patreon.com slash compelled duel and check out our patron benefits. Starting at just $2 a month, you can get access to lots of cool stuff like early access to episodes, access to exclusive playlists and special bonus content, 
and even handwritten letters from your favorite character every month. If you're interested in supporting us in ways other than pledging to the Patreon, we ask that if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, that you consider leaving us a rating and a review, just because that helps get the show promoted to a wider audience. And as always, word-of-mouth advertising is the strongest tool we have available to us. If you like what you're hearing, we just ask that you tell a friend about the show, and if they like it, ask them to tell a friend as well. We host a weekly Q&A live stream every week on our YouTube channel, so if you just search Compelled Duel on YouTube, we should be the first folks that come up. We would love to see you come hang out for that. We always have a really good time. And with that, our next episode will be going live on Friday, January 7th, 2022. If you're a patron, you're going to get your early access to that on Thursday, January 6th. We hope everybody has a very safe and happy New Year's, and uh, we'll see you in 2022. This should be good. See y'all next week.